It was the day my grandmother exploded. That's the fetching first line of Scottish author Ian Banks's The Crow Road, a novel of obsession, mystery, dark humor, and drafts of single malt scotch whiskey. Hello, listeners. Welcome to A Writer's World. Sean Griffin is on hiatus during the month of July. I'm David Winkler, a writer and storyteller who, in Sean's absence, hopes to share some part of that world with you here on KWNK. It's a big subject, and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is entitled, First Lines in Novels. Now, I think of a novel's first line as tantamount to a handshake, the opening of a door, a blown kiss, or even a seductive wink. You ask yourself, do I or don't I? Those of us who frequent bookstores in quest of our next good read generally check out that first line to see if it reels us in. To paraphrase Jane Austen's oft-quoted opener of Pride and Prejudice, it's a truth universally acknowledged that any reader in possession of a good novel must be in want of a good first line. That's always been the case, but nowadays when so much is demanded of our time and with so many distractions, there's more riding on that handshake, that seductive wink, than ever. Let's check out some other rousing first lines. A short shocker like Banks's exploding grandmother is prompt to catch our attention, but not essential, and maybe not even preferable. Listen to the sentence that opens Gabriel Garcia Marquez's elegant masterpiece, A Hundred Years of Solitude. Many years later, as he faced a firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. From those richly imagined evocative details, we have to wonder, who is this condemned colonel? What did he do to incur such a sorry fate? And why, at the point of death, does he recall a long-ago day when his father took him to discover ice? It must be a devotedly incurious reader who does not read on. Some weeks back, Sean Griffin did a program on Marquez's robust and irresistible novel called Columbia at the Crossroads. My suggestion is to give that program a listen, then read or reread the book. It will be well worth your while, as it was mine. Meanwhile, here's an introductory sentence to one of my favorite kinds of novel, The Seafaring Tale. Of all things that drive men to sea, the most common disaster I've come to know is women. Notice how it begins earnestly, then upends our expectations with that final word, women, possibly for comic effect. Well, whatever its intent, we're primed to keep reading. The novel is Middle Passage by Charles Johnson. The title will tip you off that it's both a sea yarn and a slave narrative, set in the year 1830. Prepare yourself for high seas adventure as well as the grim reality of the slave trade, a shameful and indelible feature of our country's history. Many may recall this sentence from some distant English class. Gregor Samsa awoke in his bed one morning to find himself transformed into a gigantic insect. It's from Franz Kafka's novella The Metamorphosis. If you didn't know better, you might think you were about to read a dark fantasy of wild and weirdly conceived creatures. It's an allegory. But of what? 
As with any complex work of literature, that's for the reader to divine. Now, for me, it has the disturbing quality of a waking nightmare, of how many of us, at one time or another, in a stage of insecurity, perceive ourselves as non-entities, as not being recognized for our humanity, perhaps on the insignificant level of an insect. Think of middle school. A radically different novel, yet one that uncomfortably parallels Kafka's bleak theme, is Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. It starts out simply with, I am an invisible man. Not the science fiction trope created by H.G. Wells, but a blood-and-bones black man who realizes that his identity, to say nothing of his humanity, is not validated by the society in which he lives, that is to say, by white people. To further diminish him, the protagonist isn't even given a name. Ellison's novel is hailed as among the greatest in the 20th century. It seizes us by the throat and doesn't release its grip. The book came out in 1952, but it feels so fresh that, sadly, it could have been written yesterday. Next, I'm recommending a novel I've not actually read. I feel safe in doing so because it's by Ann Tyler. And how can anyone go wrong with Ann Tyler? In preparing for this program, I came upon Tyler's novel, Back When We Were Grown-Ups. Its opening line has echoes of both Kafka and Ellison. Once upon a time, there was a woman who discovered she had turned into the wrong person. Now, there's a sentence freighted with all kinds of existential possibility. I don't know how I managed to overlook it, but suddenly I'm booked. The line that kicks off Albert Camus' The Stranger is, Mother died today. It's delivered without fanfare or effect, just a blunt, cold statement like, we're out of toothpaste. So we have to wonder, who is this narrator, Marcel, who behaves so indifferently to his mother's passing? Three short words with the stark, matter-of-fact deliberation of, call me Ishmael. Except the latter comes across as a possible gentle command, like, call me Shane. You sense that tucked inside the imperative is a warm greeting. Pull up a chair. I have things to tell you. But in the cool neutrality of the stranger's three words, Mother died today, we don't sense an invitation so much as indifference, and ironically, that's what sustains interest. Now here's an introductory sentence that is anything but neutral. They shoot the white girl first. If you're as much of a Toni Morrison fan as I am, you immediately recognize that as the first sentence of her novel, Paradise. The title itself is ironic. Someone wrote that Morrison's novels read like epic poems. What a perfect description of her evocative style. She does not stint on graphic violence, nor does she shirk from images that horrify. Her sentences are to be caressed even when they do horrify. Somehow they manage to wrap us in their splendor, independent of content. Morrison's female protagonists leave upon us permanent impressions in books like The Bluest Eye, her first novel, Beloved, and Paradise. The reach of her imagination is stunning and requires that we take breathers in between books. 
One does not binge-read Toni Morrison any more than one gulps down a gourmet meal. Now, I'm aware that many people, most people for all I know, read sheerly to be entertained. However, I expect to be challenged and disturbed by what I read. I want to be left with an after-effect of angst, something that causes me to think and to reconsider my perceived beliefs and my ideas about the world at large. Stepping into territory that may be unsettling for some, here's the well-known introduction to Vladimir Nabokov's groundbreaking novel, Lolita. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins. Whether you've read it or not, you're likely aware that the book's protagonist, Humbert Humbert, is a confessed sexual predator. The object of his obsession is 12 years old. You may ask, why should I bother? A valid question. For me, the answer is language. Humbert Humper is an abomination of a human being. His first-person narration, via Nabokov, is gorgeous. It's further proof that a literary artist can write about anything at all, so long as there's a riveting style-slash-voice to keep us turning pages, even as we disapprove of the subject matter. Going back a few centuries to Lawrence Stern's Tristram Shandy, we have a protagonist who, in telling his life story, doesn't get around to being born until late in the book due to a ceaseless series of diversions, digressions, and interruptions. But the digressions themselves are so amusing that you're loath to mark your place. How does Stern get away with it? As with Nabokov, the short answer is voice plus a pleasing selection of detail. With wit, verve, and humor, he keeps us totally involved. That's the storyteller's gift. Since as humans we're all innate storytellers, it's something we might learn for ourselves in our daily yield of words. Well, I see that the tables on either side of me are piled with books dragged from shelves for the purpose of this program. How absurd of me to think I would read from them all. I, I wish to finish my litany of celebrated first lines with what is perhaps my single most favorite. It's from Raphael Sabatini's Scaramouche. He was born with a gift of laughter and a sense that the world was mad. It's not necessarily the best, just my favorite, due to its combined spirit of joie de vivre with a breezy, impertinent attitude toward perceived global insanity. When I first read that book at age 19, I found it hard to resist. Scaramouche was published in 1921, exactly a hundred years ago, and for my money, every word of it holds up today, valiantly. This novel belongs on the same shelf as The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas, Madame Orxy's The Scarlet Pimpernel, and Johnston McCulley's The Mark of Zorro. Each is a historical novel featuring zestful heroes unsparing in swordplay and wordplay. Scaramouche is actually a figure of fun, a clown, if you will, from Italy's Commedia dell'Arte. But in this novel, the clown has a serious and deadly purpose behind his buffoonery. The dialogue is as pointed as the tip of his sword. He was born with a gift of laughter and a sense that the world was mad. 
That quote concludes my program on novels' first lines. I hope you agree that those lines grant us the keys to literary magic. Please join us in the collective ethersphere every other Sunday at 5 p.m. for our next meditation on words, or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstores. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music, and in Las Vegas, the Writer's Block. They're open, and we need them. And the books I mentioned? You'll find them there. Oh, and a quick spoiler alert. That gaseous, exploding grandmother? She was in the process of being cremated. Thank you, and spread a little kindness wherever you are.